This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed while sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest today, Gleb Sapersky. Gleb, how are you doing today? Hey, glad to be on, Greg. Thank you for so much for inviting me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking us on your career journey today. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, could you please tell me, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, when I grew up, I wanted to be a medical doctor. That's what my parents were telling me I should be. So that's kind of what I wanted to be until I decided that that was not the right course for me. And I remember going all through, you know, school, high school, college, thinking, yeah, I guess I'll be a medical doctor if my parents want me to. My parents are immigrants. So, I mean, I'm an immigrant. I was 10 when I came here to the U.S. I'm sure you can hear my accent. (laughs) And uh, they wanted me to make sure that I have a career that makes money, and that's medical doctor, either medical doctor or a lawyer, and I didn't want to be a lawyer. So medical doctor was my path until I made the decision that that was not going to be fulfilling for me, and that's not how I wanted to live my life. So I changed my path to what I'm currently doing. But okay. that, was the back, that was the background for <laughs> what I want to be when I grew up. Yeah, a couple questions. First off, where are you from? I'm from a small country in Eastern Europe called Moldova. So my parents left when I was 10, when it was freed from Soviet domination in 1991. And I'm very glad they left because apparently something I had no idea about, Moldova is one of the least happy countries in the world, or at least it's rated that way by the UN. So yeah, not a good place to be. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Now, before your parents said you wanted to be, you need to be a doctor, did you have any of your own aspirations or did that, was that ingrained like at three years old and on? Well, I had my own aspiration in terms of my interests. I was always interested in how and why people made decisions, their decisions, mm. and how groups made decisions. That was always my fascination. How does our brain, well, I didn't know about the brain when I was a kid, but like, why did people make decisions in this way? Why did they choose that? It was always fascinating for me. I was reading, I remember since I was a little kid, I was reading history books because that was the best source that I had as a kid of decision-making, looking at you know these leaders making decisions in the middle of battles, these politicians, these mm. business leaders making decisions about the future of their companies. And that was always kind of what I wanted to learn. And of course, looking at my parents making some good decisions and some pretty bad ones <laughs> and thinking, okay, that's what I don't want to do when I grow up. So that right. was something that always fascinated me, decision-making. Yeah. Now, speaking of decision-making, was there one particular moment or event where you decided, I do not want to be a doctor? Or was it more of a gradual, you just didn't see yourself enjoying the career path? It was definitely, there was a key precipitating moment. And the key precipitating moment was when I was in the last year applying to medical school, kind of last year of college, my first semester of the last year of college. And I was kind of envisioning myself in the future. I had, I mean, medical school is hard to get into, but I was fine. Had great grades. Everything was good. And I was looking at myself and I was thinking, well, what's my long-term future going to be like as a doctor? And I saw that it was just going to be full of just going you know, to the hospital, trying to take care of people, whatever, all that stuff. I mean, it's good stuff. You know, people need to do it. But it just was going to be, I realized that the reasons I was going to do it was because of 
money, social status, and my parents telling me to do it. Right. So, okay. that, whereas I was, what, what really fascinated me, I mean, it was funny, all my time throughout college, high school, I did the organic chemistry, I did all that biology, but I spent my free time and additional elective classes taking classes in history and other related fields that allowed me to get a decision making. How do people actually think and make decisions. And I was thinking, well, can I somehow combine this with a medical career? Can I be like a decision-making specialist within medicine? And so it was always in my mind that that's something I was interested in. And I'm like, at that point, when I saw my long-term career, I'm like, okay, I can do this medicine, but is that really how I want to spend like 12 hours a day, especially in residency in, uh, as an intern, spending in medicine? Is that how I want to do that? Or should I take a risk and should I make do it, go into this uncertain path of looking at decision making and risk management and cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economics? Much less certain, much less confidence about money, but this is actually how I want to spend my time. So I decided that for the sake of my own fulfillment, my own sense of meaning and purpose and happiness and flourishing, I needed to actually not go into medicine and go into this other field. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great lead up. So you wanted to do something that had involved the decision making process, but you also wanted to incorporate some of the medical aspect of it. And it sounds like you were well on your way to, you know, becoming a doctor, which is really amazing. So tell us, what do you do today? You can guess, I study decision making and risk management. How do you make the best decisions? Unfortunately, there are way too many business leaders. I focus on business leadership, but I also kind of come look at relationships and look at personal decision making. There are way too many business leaders that make horrible decisions. I mean, look at what's happening with Boeing right now, the 737 MAX. They made some very bad decisions in actually deciding to release the 737 MAX, push it much much earlier than it should have been pushed. It was clearly not ready. So they made some really, really bad decisions in going forward on the 737 MAX. And there are so many other, and this is just one example of so many business leaders who make terrible decisions all the time. So I study and practice and consult, coach and train on how do you avoid bad decisions? How do you manage those risks that people tend to not manage very well to make good decisions because our natural, our intuitive state, the advice that we all get to go with our gut is actually has been shown to be very, very wrong by current research. You should not go with your gut. You should not trust your intuitions because our intuitions lead us in very, very bad directions. Just like my parents made bad decisions when I was a kid, just like, you know, the Bernie Ebers and of the world, WorldCom, Tyco, Enron made some really bad decisions. And just like the WeWork leadership made some bad decisions and Boeing leadership made some bad decisions. People make very bad decisions in business when they follow their gut. Right, right. Now, if you would, take us from that moment of changing majors, so to speak, changing your educational goals to today. Like walk us through your education, you know, some of the jobs you've had. How did you build up to what you do today as a disaster avoidance expert? In my college years, when I was deciding to transition away from medicine, I started doing public speaking and training on this topic because I already read a lot about this myself, so I knew about this. So I started doing training, consulting, and a little bit of consulting and coaching early onward. And you know, that this was stuff that was not paid well because right. I didn't have much experience, you know, kind of just out of college. But that that was that. So I started looking at that training, consulting, coaching from that period. Now, as I got into it, I saw that there were a lot of things that 
the books that were available didn't cover on decision making about how we think and how we feel. Because what the research shows is that our decisions are influenced by emotions very much. About 80 to 90 percent of our decisions comes from our emotions. So I wanted to understand that. What happens? How do we feel? Why do we feel this way? Why do we make certain decisions? And I went into academia to study this stuff because that's where it was available. And once I went into academia, I really realized how much I didn't know because there were a lot of things about myself that I made some pretty bad decisions that I didn't realize I'd made those bad decisions until I went into studying the topic of cognitive biases. And the cognitive biases, that's the dangerous judgment errors that result from how our brain is wired. So, for example, we tend to think that we are great and that our plans are great, and we make plans as though everything will go according to plan. You know, you might have heard the phrase that failing to plan is planning to fail. So people right. make plans and they go invest the resources along these, with these plans. Unfortunately, that's a very misleading phrase because our plans almost never survive contact with the enemy. And we don't plan for contingencies, risks and problems. A much better phrase is failing to plan for problems is, is planning to <laughs> fail. So failing to plan for problems is planning to fail. Anyway, that's just the planning fallacy is our idea that plans will go well when our feeling that plans will go well when they actually won't. And so that was something that I learned about and I saw, oh, hey, that's, that's what happened in my life. I should avoid that in the future. So right. I went into academia and I became, I still did consulting, coaching, training, speaking, writing on the side while doing academia. So I've been doing consulting, coaching, training and decision making and risk management for about 20 years now and have been doing academia for 15 years. And so that's how my current background is made up of background of consulting, coaching, training, and academic background as a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist, where I researched how people make decisions, especially about what they perceive as true, and how do we deal with the fact that our, we have so many blind spots and tend to see the reality through rose-colored glasses. Right, right. Okay. So you're you're training, you're coaching, you're learning, you're in academia. Now, at this point, is it just a matter of building up your business to building up your client list? Uh, where did you go from this point? So I went into starting to, I think the major breakthrough I made was writing books, writing popular books. And that was the major breakthrough because before that, you know, I just had local clients in my area. I moved from place to place where I was doing academia. Once I settled as a professor at Ohio State University, go Bucks, <laughs> I started having that stability and that enabled me to write my first book. So my first really popular book was the Troop Seekers Handbook, a science-based guide which was published in 2017, talked about how we tend to not see the truth of reality and how do we change our beliefs to see actual truth of reality. So it was one of the first books on how do you address cognitive biases in life and all life areas, including business, relationships, and so on. And that got a lot of good press, everything from Time Magazine to Inc. Magazine, everything in between. So that was good. So that people, folks started paying attention to that. And I started doing more regional, some national events. And so that was kind of a breakthrough in my career. So publishing a book was really important. And after, and I did a lot of interviews, media, and so on. After that, I just recently came out with my second book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. This is a specifically business-focused book published with a great business publisher called Career Press. And so with Career Press, they have know how to get good publicity. So I got a lot of good publicity again, a bunch of interviews, a bunch of 
writing positions, and that got me more national coverage. So I'm doing a lot of national keynotes, company trainings, and so on based on this new book. So really, I think the books have been a major breakthrough for me and the credibility that they gave me was very important. Yeah, well, if you would, kind of walk us through your typical week uh, in your role as disaster avoidance expert. Like, what does that look like? Are you contacting clients? Are they reaching out to you? Are you doing initial, you know, surveys of the companies to figure out what the challenges are, how to build a game plan? Like, just kind of walk us through your week. Sure. Let me do a month because my week is more variable. There so, we go. Let's yep. do a month. <laughs> yes. my uh, As my role, it it's, it's really is more variable. So, for example... In a couple of days, I'm going to go to do a training for the World Wildlife Fund on stakeholder engagement. It's going to be a two-day training, full nine to five days, both of them. So that's kind of an example of a specific company-focused, organization-focused, nonprofit-focused, in this case, training that I'll be doing, and I'll be doing company trainings later. So this is an example of an outcome, the long-term outcome, because it takes a while to set these up, of a whole series of events that came before that that enabled this training. And these trainings are really where I make the majority of my money. Well, training and consulting. So consulting projects, training projects, and coaching projects is where the money really comes into my company, Disaster Avoidance Experts at disasteravoidanceexperts.com. That training is a result of a bunch of things, including publishing the book. So publishing the book, of course, gives me the credibility to go on various media venues. So everything from NPR and CBS News to uh, this was a nonprofit venue. So I just had an article published that quoted me quite a bit in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which is the biggest nonprofit media out there for folks who don't know nonprofit media, the Chronicle of Philanthropy, about trust and nonprofits. How do nonprofits build trust? How do nonprofits lose trust? And I had previous articles published in the Chronicle of Philanthropy interviewing me. So people find out about me mainly through media venues. So that's one major way that people find out about me through media venues. And then they contact me and say, hey, can you do a training for us? So I'll be doing an engagement like this, another one for a state bar association. So the state bar association, of, I'm not going to name it because they didn't yet permit me to do so. Worldwide, right. I permitted me to do so. That was a result of an article I published in Associations Now, which is the main associations venue for association executives. And that's a bar association. So they saw the article and they're like, hey, this is something we want training in. And they're going to bring me in to do a training for them. So that's another example of how the media results in contacts from clients. And that's the kind of the best way to get clients. Uh, really from if they approach me. So another example is organic search. DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com apparently came up quite high when somebody searched for empathy speakers because it's Hmm. part of what I do on how do you address emotions. So like I said, we make the vast majority of our decisions are emotional. Folks don't realize it. They talk about logic and reason and policy in the workplace. And I talk a lot about empathy, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. And so somebody who wanted that for their claims adjusters and insurance, because you know, claims adjusters, they, they need to do have a lot of empathy with their customers, clients, if the customer if their clients are not going to sue them for not offering the right things in in the insurance adjustment. So they're going to bring me in to do a trading on empathy. So that's an organic search. So that's another one. Now, I also do some external marketing, mainly through reaching out to associations. And I have a marketing staff. So I have a couple of people working for me 
who their jobs are to reach out to associations and ask them if they want me to speak for them. So I'll be doing a speaking, uh, I'll be doing a speaking keynote for the Association of Continuity Professionals, which is the, one of the major risk management associations that's going to be coming up in April. I'll be doing a keynote for the for the uh, HR group pretty soon, so an HR association. So that's something that I do external outreach to to associations. Then the association they have a lot of members, including from companies, and they see me doing a presentation and they reach out to me to then bring me in. So that's another way that I get clients. So those are the major ways that I get clients. I also get a little bit of my revenue, maybe about 5% of my revenue from paid writing pieces and other writing work like like royalties from books. So that's about 5% of the revenue. The large majority of the revenue comes from consulting, speaking, coaching, and training. Yeah, okay. So now let me let me put the scenario to you. I own, I don't know, an airline, something crazy. Mm-hmm. And I want you to come in as the expert to review what do I need to look at and address and how to do it. Is that something you offer? And if so, how does that conversation begin? It depends on which area because, you know, if you want me to do sales, that's not my area of expertise. So, for <laughs> right. example, or marketing. My areas of expertise would be something like employee engagement because that deploy- it depends a lot on motivation. Mm-hmm. Customer engagement, which is what this claims adjustment conference is going to be about. You want Because, again, that depends a lot on emotions. Strategic planning. Folks make so many errors in strategic planning. One of the worst things I see is the SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, uh, the opportunities, and threats. Very commonly used tool, unfortunately, causes people to have a strong sense of false comfort when they actually do the SWOT analysis because they think everything is hunky-dory and they're safe. No, they're not. We tend to suffer, especially folks who do the SWOT analysis are in leadership roles, they tend to be very optimistic about the future. They tend to be very optimistic about their plans. They fall into planning fallacy. They fall into overconfidence bias, optimism bias, which are two more cognitive biases, and they are kind of like what they sound, too optimistic, too overconfident. And so they list way too many strengths, way too many opportunities, not nearly enough weaknesses, not nearly enough threats to address the problems. I mean, do you think that uh, Southwest was aware of the problems that would be associated with the 737 MAX and planned for them? No, they didn't. You know, same thing for American Airlines. They didn't plan for these problems. And so that, that those are examples of where airlines go in the wrong direction. They don't make enough contingencies in their plans and they screw up because of not making enough contingencies. So what I would look at is these scenarios that they haven't really thought about. They haven't really thought through all of these risks, all of these problems in their strategic planning and would help them address the risks, the problems to plan for them in advance and address them in advance. Same thing with opportunities. See where there are opportunities that they might not be seeing and make sure they seize those opportunities. So those are areas the engagement, risk management. If they, if an airline needs to make a major decision, you know, let's say uh, Southwest decides for some reason to expand internationally much more than it is right now, that would be an area I can discuss with them. So the, these are the areas that I would engage with. That's a very well-crafted answer, so I appreciate that. That's very specific and uh, gives me great clarity on as far as you would approach an opportunity like that. Awesome. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by Career Cluster. So we learned what you wanted to be when you, well, we actually learned what your parents wanted you to be <laughs> when you grew up, which was a doctor. And then we learned what you do today, which is a disaster avoidance expert. So looking back on your career, 
What would you do differently? I'd have made the decision to go into decision making much earlier because I wasted a lot of time going studying organic chemistry and biology and stuff that I'd never used. So I would have much rather spent that time studying decision making, studying the brain, how we make decisions, what's the psychology of that, what's the cognitive neuroscience of that, much earlier because I think I would have been in a better place right now and I would have been more able to help more people over time if I had started earlier. Wow, that's a great answer. Okay, so now let's talk to our college students. If one of our students wants to do what you do, so define it as you will as a disaster avoidance expert, as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? I would give them first advice to look at how the brain works and see if that's the kind of topic they want to study. It's not an easy topic because it, re it requires first of all, understanding your own blind spots. So for example, I mentioned the planning fallacy. I also learned that I tend to be way too optimistic. So I learned that I tend to, you know, think that be risk blind and make mistakes, have way too high expectations about the future. I learned that I tend to personally see the grass as green on the other side of the hill when it's too often yellow. And those are hard things to learn. Those are hard things to learn about yourself. It's hard to do that, to see the truth of that. Most people would rather flinch away and just be comfortable in their current lifestyle rather than grow themselves and go, get out of their comfort zone and face their own errors. Because the first thing you need to face when you're a disaster avoidance expert and decision-making expert and risk management expert is address the risks and errors within dangerous judgment errors within yourself. Because if you don't do that, how can you actually help others? So you, the first thing I would recommend is that they take a hard look at themselves and see whether they're willing to do the hard work that's required for self-analysis, self-management, and so on, because many people fail at that stage. Yeah, and that's a tough step to take. So it's good to get out of the way early if it's something you really want to do. Yep. So great advice. Well, now, are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to mention? I know you mentioned a couple speaking speaking engagements. Well, probably the biggest project I'm having right now is sharing about my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. It's actually the first book to focus on defeating cognitive biases, these dangerous judgment errors that I mentioned, in business settings. There are no other books. It's the first book to do that. How do you actually, what are, what they are, the 30 most dangerous judgment errors in business settings, and how do you defeat them? So that's something that I'm really excited about right now. It was published just in November. So very new book. And I'm sharing about that. That's my major project right now. Yeah, I think that that's the main thing. I'm Oh, something I'm also excited right now is that I'm one of the first link, early LinkedIn influencers who was invited to do a newsletter on LinkedIn, which is a completely new thing that LinkedIn is launching within the last couple of months to get some LinkedIn influencers to do newsletters. Uh, so folks subscribe to them and they get automatic notifications. So those who want to check me out on LinkedIn at Dr. Glebsipursky, G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y, can follow me and check out my newsletter there. Awesome. Well, you gave me all the information there. What's the best way that our listeners can buy your book? It's actually available in physical bookstores everywhere. You know, not self-published, like I mentioned. It's a great uh, traditional publisher called Career Press. So anywhere in Barnes & Noble, university bookstores, and indie bookstores, props to them. And of course, everywhere online. Amazon, again, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and wherever you buy your books. Everywhere there. And you can also check out my personal website, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. And it's going to be in the store there for discounted because, you know, I don't have to pay a middleman there. So, again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Oh, and uh, something I want to make sure to mention. I have a free course called the Wise Decision Maker course 
with eight video-based modules at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. It contains the essential information from the book in video-based and podcast audio-based modules. So folks who enjoy videos, podcasts, there's also articles, can check out that course. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey today. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Greg. It's been a pleasure to share about it. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.